today's conversation is with someone that is near and dear to my heart. And I don't say that lightly. Uh, this man is not only a friend, he is also the man that is currently my coach uh, in life, but he has helped me navigate some of the darkest times of my life. He is one of a very small handful of men that are that I contribute to the reason why I'm still here, meaning he helped me come back from the brink of suicide when I literally thought there was no other way out. And it was his friendship, his love that helped me navigate my divorce, helped me navigate some of my darkest times. And now I, I'm not in a dark, dark place, but I am continuing to evolve and grow and be challenged. And so David Charlson, today's guest, is, is a man that I've chosen to trust, but every time I've chosen to trust him, he has reciprocated that choice of mine by being a person that, that walks the fine line of, you know, you hear all the time, be a safe place for people. And I'm all for that. And I'm a huge proponent of that. But he's a safe place for me and someone that challenges the hell out of me, doesn't let me just sit still, not because he thinks that I am falling short, but he helps me see more of the good in me than sometimes I can see in myself. So today we, we dive into topics like spirituality and, and what does that mean and how do, you, how do you use spirituality to help you anchor into the man that you are meant to be and other topics like uh, unhealthy paradigms. Why is it so hard to let go of those sometimes? And even though they may be self-destructive, they're really freaking appealing in certain ways uh, amongst other topics. And so um, if you haven't already, I would encourage you to subscribe just because we have some really exciting guests. Obviously, today's, um, he's also the first guest that is now the the first guest that is the second time that they're appearing on this podcast. So you haven't listened to that episode, I would highly encourage you to dig through the archives and listen to that. And lastly, uh, leave your comments, leave your feedback, leave your reviews. I, I read all of them and I, I take them all deeply to heart because I want to talk about the things that, yes, I have some idea, but the topics that you guys really want to talk about, I want to lean into those too and get guests that care about the topics that you care about. So leave a review, good, bad, indifferent. I don't care what it is. I just want to hear from you. You can either send an email to josh at Searbaugh Consulting or just leave a review on Apple, Spotify, wherever it may be. Um, just let me hear your thoughts. I would really appreciate it. It means a lot to me. helps me navigate and guide this podcast in the direction that is not only helpful for me, but also ultimately helpful for you. So Without further ado, let's dive into the conversation with David Charlson. Men, we are not simple, chest-thumping, rock-smashing, fire-starting barbarians. We have depth. We intensely feel. We are scared, yet brave. We love to have fun. We're imperfect and make mistakes. We're compassionate and loving. We are multifaceted. Let's explore the reality of masculinity together. So more people that I've talked to, more and more, or the more that I've talked to people, the more I've realized that every good coach needs a good coach to be good at what they do, which sounds basic and simple, and yet you'd be amazed at how many quote-unquote gurus 
um, aren't are leading people, but they're not anyone lead them. And today's guest is my coach. He's also a close friend of mine. You've actually heard of him if you've been following me for a while. He was a guest on the podcast earlier. He so this is his second appearance. But you, know, you have a handful of few friends that you really consider lifelong friends, and you feel privileged to be able to have them as a friend. And our guest today, David Charlson, is that for me. He's part of that core, that inner circle, that confidant that I have in my life that I feel that all men need and is invaluable. Um, we're going to dive into some of the the reasons why that's invaluable and why you need it. But um, without further ado, let me introduce you to the infamous David Charlson. How's it going, David? Good. Good. It's good to, good to be here with you, Josh. Yeah. A nice he, introduction. Well, it's all true. It's all real. You know, I, yeah. I, I have a, I have a very small group of people that I kind of have no filter with and what I have found in our friendship and in you working with me is that that lack of filter that I have, you've always met it with compassion at the same time, compassion met with challenge, you know, and, and I think that the unique blend of those two is a fine line to walk sometimes. Uh, and you've done it impeccably in my opinion I, i've said to you what did i say to you years ago you don't know how to not do life well right yeah that's yeah that 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 one that one i i use that one when i start to doubt myself that one that's something i used to ground myself that saying that you said over me many years ago sure yeah that was probably what eight nine years ago now uh-huh eight nine years ago you said that and it's stuck it's stuck um well i actually i want to start the conversation in a little bit of a different direction because of where I want to end. And, and so to slightly pivot and kind of change things, I'm curious, and this, we're going to kind of build on some of these questions that I have for you. And I know some of the answers, but I think that my listeners will get a lot of value out of your take on things. Um, but I want to actually start with spirituality and mm -hmm. A super, super basic question, yet a, something we could probably take, you know, three hours with is, so don't take three hours, but uh, <laughs> what, what, ex, what does spirituality mean to you specifically? Well, I, I think that for a good part of my life, um, the five senses pretty much dominated my reality. I was more of a materialist. I think a pretty, pretty, pretty much like 80% of the way I did life was materialistic, okay. meaning the five senses. Can you test it? You know, I got, I got a degree in math. I was raised by a dad who is, was pretty much a staunch atheist. Um, but I, I was having spiritual experiences when I look back. So to answer your question, um, I think a very broad definition of spirituality is things beyond the five senses. Okay. Um, I'm curious for you, you said that that phrase that I said to you years ago kind of helps you stay anchored, but how does your spirituality help you be anchored in, in your identity? Um, well, I, the way that I practice my spirituality is I have a, a phrase I call the third space. So like okay. right now I'm on a podcast with you, Josh Sirba. 
So it's, I, I can see you, I can hear you. I believe that's you on the other end of this. You might be a bot. I don't know, but I'm pretty sure you're sure. the real Josh Searbot. You're, if you are a bot, you're doing a very good job at botting. So kudos to you. Good job. AI is I'm getting gonna scary. Ask these secret days, questions but... of you to make sure you're not a bot. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna figure this out here before we're done. Yeah. Um, so, so I'm, I'm paying attention to me, right? Like I'm paying attention to what's going on in my head, what's happening in here. I'm paying attention to you and looking at your body language and looking for nonverbal cues from you. And I'm being sensitive to, hey, what's happening with Josh? We're on a podcast. Um, in some sense, I'm even aware of people that are listening right now, even though I have no idea who they are or who they're going to be, but I'm aware that this is being recorded and that many people that I don't know will hear this. Um, but I'm also aware of, so that all that would be first and second space stuff. Okay. Third space is I'm aware that there is a presence on this call that is part of all of us. And if you can imagine a Venn diagram where every person we're talking about is a circle and all of us overlap, like something I say or something I express or something that someone sees in my eyes or sees in your eyes, they might go, that reminds me of this thing about me. And, th and then there'll be an overlap there. Their circle will overlap with our circle and they'll be the ones that, that say that's, that's something that I resonate with. I believe on this call, there's, in my, in, from my spirituality, God is sitting there. The Holy Spirit is sitting there waiting for somebody, you or me, or even someone listening, to notice what's happening where we all overlap, where you and I and every listener and a higher power, a being, a source, the universe, whatever, there's unlimited potentiality that's sitting just waiting for someone to hit that spot where it benefits everybody on the call. So that that's, I call that the third space. And my, my objective is to, when I do, when I'm, when you talk about how do I anchor, I'm, I, I feel a sense of life and excitement in me when I tap into that. And I trust, I'm, I'm looking to tune into that to create the maximum amount of benefit for everybody that's involved in anything I'm touching. So mm. long answer, but to build up yeah. to that, but it's that overlap space. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's interesting to space. me that because I, I love the way that you articulate that. And at the same time, I guess to share a little bit of of my story that is is re one of the reasons or one of the many reasons why I consider you such a close friend is when I was going through my divorce and I was going, you know, I, I, in my journey with plant medicine, with psychedelics, I began to question my spirituality and I, it began to get challenged. It grew, it evolved, it grew, it transformed. But in that process, um, I lost a lot of friends. I, I lost a huge chunk of my friends and, and some of them were what I considered some of my closest friends. And, and for you, and the reason why I'm asking these questions about your spirituality is because you you didn't let my journey and my process within my spirituality uh, shake our friendship. It actually, the way that you responded, it drew me closer to you. I felt more safe with you. I felt more seen. You still shared your opinions, your thoughts, your beliefs, but you also didn't try to redefine or force a definition of spirituality onto me. And so I'm, I'm curious within that, cause I, I love that breakdown of, of kind of that third realm, which I agree with, but when it comes to, cause 
let's be honest, right? There, there's a, a lot of division these days. And a lot of that division, I mean, you can pick your poison, but some of that division, sometimes even within families, comes from seeing spirituality in a different way and and believing something. And sometimes that, you know, the other person's beliefs challenge their the other person's core beliefs. And so they get triggered or respond, et cetera. So within all of that, um, what I'm curious to hear from you is how, because I experienced you navigate it with me personally, but I don't think I've ever heard you articulate. How is it that you, you have your core beliefs, you have your spirituality, it anchors you in your identity, but how do you stay strong in that and yet still be okay with and open to other people's spirituality that may take a different shape or form? I mean, you, you even said it yourself. It may be God, universe, whatever it may be. You're okay with mm-hmm. those kinds of things. Um, what what helps you tell that line or, or not be offended by other people's spirituality and what form that takes? Well, I mean, one of my best friends is Satanist, so... And I'm a Christian, so let's let's go down there. I'll go down that road, right? Like, please do I would explain that up, a little bit, right? Okay, so uh, a neighbor and uh, we during COVID, everyone's hanging around home, so he's uh, he's out. Uh, sorry, my computer here did something. Sorry about that. It's okay. That's nah, fine. Um, so. He's, you know, out working on his motorcycle and I say hi to him and we run into each other and we're like, hey, when this COVID thing calms down, let's get together. It seems like we keep running into each other and he's a tatted up dude with dreads and rides motorcycles and seemed really interesting to me. I'm like, seems like a cool guy to hang out with, find out what his story is all about. And anyways, he, he found out pretty quick. We talked spirituality, he found out he's a Christian. And then the next time we were together, he's like, well, I just need to let you know because I know your beliefs now and I, I don't want to play pretendies with you. I'm a Satanist. Right. Okay. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Now you'd think, I think he was waiting for me to go, okay, well we're, we're done being friends now. Like, you know, Christians and Satanists aren't allowed to hang out together. Right. I mean, that's yeah. just the rules. You can't do that. Um, I said, well, what does that mean to you? I did. I wanted to know what does that mean? So, so my first thing was, I think I instinctually went to the third space. I didn't take his label to mean anything other than, well, I'm curious. That makes me curious. What does that mean? Mm. He's like, well, I don't worship Satan or anything. I didn't even ask him that. I'm like, okay, so you don't worship Satan. Okay. What else does it mean? He goes, well, I believe in self-responsibility. And a lot of the tenets of Satanism are about self-responsibility. I'm like, okay. So he laid out like everything. I go, I think we agree on about 90% of everything that you just said. I can't think of. And the other 10%, I don't know. Like maybe we're polar opposites. Let's keep hanging out and find out. So I don't know. I mean, that's kind of anecdotal what I just shared. Right. But yeah. Um, uh, I, I believe a lot of Christians, myself included, use Christianity as a way to not take responsibility for ourselves. So I kind of like having him as my friend because I can learn a lot from him about being more responsible and not hiding behind my faith as a way to be a crappy human being. Mm. So I like having him as a friend because he, challenges me on that and 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 i think he likes me having me as a friend because i'm i'm more into grace and forgiveness and i challenge him on that 
Okay. Extreme responsibility is doesn't leave a lot of room for grace and forgiveness, and yet he's, he's I, I won't. I mean, he's had some pretty. He had a daughter that he hadn't talked to for seventeen years, um, because they had a falling out when he was younger, and he had not forgiven himself for some of the ways, and he respected her wishes. And one night on my patio, he chose to forgive himself. Wow. Which I think violated some of his tenants that he operated by. I think. I don't know that for sure. Yeah. But the next day she called him. And the next day she called him. And they reconciled within like a week. So Holy cow. And he came up to me the next day and he goes, what the F? What the? Can I cuss on here? Oh, yeah, yeah. Go for it. Is this podcast? Oh, he said, it, what the it's fuck? It's totally dude? fucking okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And, um, and then we just had a bunch of really, really cool experiences. He, he's basically told me, dude, like we need to go speak and like literally like be a roadshow together. Like the Christian and the Satanists show up <laughs> at the Ted talk and, you know, so I don't know. I mean, had he said, I worship Satan and I, I, I worship the dark Lord and I, and I curse your house. And like, if he intended me ill will, I wouldn't have been friends with him, but he's, he's one of the most loving people I've ever met. One of the most yeah. accepting people I've ever met. He, 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 I think would give me the shirt off of his back. Like he's, he's a great guy. And just because he calls himself a Satanist, if I'd stopped there, I would have lost out on a great friendship. If I just, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Or if, or if I'd, if I had said, I'm going to be friends with you and make you my new project, right? Like yeah, you, are, you yeah. are the person that needs to be saved. So I'm going to, I'm going to be syrupy sweet with you. And I'm going to kind of give you that nicey judgy look that the Christians can give people they don't agree with. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I could have done yeah. a bunch of stuff that would have been very off putting to him too. And he could have chosen not to be a friend with me, but I'm like, I want to learn from this guy. And I think we're pretty much, I think at this point we're like 99% the same. Like it's wow. gone from 90 to 99. So why am I worried about the 1%? Yeah. If, if my belief is so much about unconditional love, then why would I not line up with that? Why would I, why would I choose anything other than unconditional love? And I find almost, I find zero reason to self-protect with him. Like, you know, I feel safer around him than I do some of my Christian friends. So there you go. Yeah. Wow. That'll blow some people's paradigms. <laughs> um, <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. What, so let, let me set a foundation. This is not going to be Bash Christianity podcast. I promise that. But I am genuinely curious. Like you said, you were curious about your, your neighbor. Uh, for you, yeah. in your experience, I have my opinions, but in what ways do Christians use Christianity to not take responsibility? Well, I think the most cliche one is the devil made me do it. You know, I was just under attack. I, okay. uh, I, I, um, or they, they really are judging someone harshly and like, what's, what's the right example here? Well, there's, there's that whole th saying, um, hate the sin, but love the sinner, right? Yeah. Like hate the sin. I I hate that sin. That thing that you do that I am so certain is black and white that you are going to hell if you don't change your ways. Like that kind of sin. Yeah. Like the you know I hate that, but boy, I sure do love you. Oh my gosh, I love you. I love you. Ooh. And there's no gray, and there's no. It's just I. And usually, I mean, even the Bible itself contradicts itself. It's full of 
huge profound truths that appear to contradict each other, right? So usually when someone takes that, so they'll hide behind, I hate the sin. I'm not answering your question. Your question is how do people not take responsibility? Um, Well, they don't take responsibility for their own self-righteous judgment that's us versus them. Mm. And they do it. For this, for the in the name of I'm gonna hate that sin but love the sinner, and it comes across as nothing but judgmental. It doesn't come across in any way, shape, or form as help me understand or my 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 particular way of seeing this might it might be okay for that to be challenged. Like, so yeah. you're not taking responsibility at all for the mandate of Christianity, which is to love the world, to be Christ-like, and Christ came to love the world, not to judge it. So. Um, so one way to not take responsibility for your own fearful, self-righteous judgment is to come up with a phrase like that. Well, I love you. I just hate your sin. Well, yeah. if that's not sincere, a person can feel that and they will definitely want to distance themselves from you. It's just not. So that's one way. That's probably. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. Um, what can somebody do about that? If, if they're listening right now and they're like, you know what? Guilty as charged. I I actually don't want to use that. I don't want to use Christianity as a means of escaping or playing the victim. The devil made me do it or being judgy, etc. I mean, I, there's a an old Saturday Night Live. I, we passed it around, I think, when I was in Reading and where it was the just stop it, right? There, yes. The, the lady yes. came and said, I'm afraid I'll be buried in a box. And he's like, okay, just here you go. Write it down. Just stop it, you know. Um. Other than that, it's a Bob. Yeah. I mean, that's easier said than done. I mean, if that, if we could just stop it and knock anything out of our life, then, you know, then David Goggins wouldn't be motivational. Right. But, um, practically speaking, if somebody is realizing, you know what, I kind of am, or if their husband or wife is or whatever, what, what's some ways that they can kind of shift that? I mean, I, I think you alluded to one in, is kind of instead of be judging, be curious, right? Like what you did with your neighbor. Yep. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yep. Um, what are what are there any other ways that they can kind of check that well, at the door and not be most, so easily offended? Well, if 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 you know the Bible, or even if you don't, there's a, a really great analogy in the Bible about when you're trying to get the speck out of your friend's eye while there's a huge plank in your eye. Yeah, yeah. So when you find yourself sitting in the judgment seat, you can f- feel it. It feels really good, but usually I would say almost all the time what you're doing is you are externalizing your own inner turmoil and and it feels really good to notice the speck in the person the person that you're judging, but what you're really doing is avoiding the plank. So I would spend more time when you find yourself judging, pause. If you can find a way to pause or even debrief with yourself after you've done it. Yeah. And go, okay, what's what's the plank in my eye that's driving this? Why does this person infuriate me so much? That person is most likely going to be, you don't have to be best friends with the person that you're judging. There might be something about them where you're not supposed to be close friends with them. But think of that person as possibly your greatest teacher. The person that infuriates you. There's something that 
their way of doing life or being is provoking and creating a release of the inner turmoil that you still haven't settled within yourself. Mm. So take it, take, see if you can go back to the moment where you found yourself ready to judge and, 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 and trigger trace back. You know, when you're triggered, you find that emotion, you go, okay, when was the last time I felt enraged like that? Oh, wow. It was just five years ago with this person and then go back. Well, when did it happen before that? If you can trigger trace back often, you'll learn something about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll busy yourself with learning about the plank in your eye instead of obsessing about the speck in theirs, because it's a great way to not take responsibility for the plank in your eye. Yeah. 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 Which is exactly what my Satanist friend taught me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I think that kind of tees up the direction that I want to take this because you know, when I was thinking about this, this podcast, I, I was trying to think of some of the, the ways that I know you have gotten to know you and the strengths that you have. And as far as looking at your own plank and, and trigger tracing and, and kind of becoming not navel gazing, but introspective in the sense of being able to start to look and analyze yourself honestly. Um, in my opinion, that requires a degree of vulnerability, even if it's just with yourself to to look at the underbelly of you right to to take off that mask and to start to look at what's going on internally um what what does healthy masculine vulnerability look like to you well um great question healthy masculine vulnerability um It looks like, well, number one, it's compassion without complacency. Mm. So to me, masculinity has a leaning in aspect to it. It has a, um, here's a perfect example. Like, um, I'll, I'll give this, this is a great example of healthy masculine vulnerability. So our okay. cat, there was a storm here in California and our cat took off. Our brand new cat that we rescued um, this this is my first pet that I've had that's my own and forever. I love this cat. I've fallen in love. Everybody in the shelter loves this cat. It got its jaw busted. We nursed it to health. It's the coolest cat ever. Okay. Um, and storm a storm's coming, and he goes in, and he we let him out, but we usually bring him in at night, and he just took off, and a gnarly storm came, and I just... I just didn't have a good feeling about it. I had a feeling that he's just going to take off and I'll never see him. So we've got a green belt outside of our house. And I just went into full on like masculine, like search and rescue. And I went out there and looked for him. There's storm drains around. I was just pretty convinced that I was never going to see him again. It was just a gnarly, gnarly storm, high winds. Okay. Um, so anyways, I was triggered uh, because of loss of previous pets, I was overreacting. People might say, well, that's kind of an overreaction. Your cat will come back. Don't worry about it. Well, I was overreacting. I was full, but I was out there charging the field, being a man, hopping fences, bruising my stomach, traipsing through stuff. Like I was being a man, you know, and like, I, and I'd tell my wife, don't worry, I'll find the cat. I'm going, okay. I'll bring this cat back. And cause she's upset. Right. Um, then, then the next day I had a zoom call. I was on and, I needed to be strong and be masculine. I was, I was like going to be speaking to 15 people in a leadership role. 
and the group that was on the leadership group, I got really vulnerable with them. And I told him, hey, I am still really emotional about my cat. My cat's still lost. And I just shared a piece of that and asked them to pray for me. And they did. Wow. Um, and then I, I returned into the leadership role that I was. Um, I, I run another company. I had an investor meeting that day um, where I had to have some loans, loans modified. And I needed to talk to my investors. And I needed to be strong and masculine. But prior to that meeting started, I told them, hey, I'm here. I'm glad to be here with you guys. I just need you to know I'm upset about my cat being lost right now. Okay. Right? And I just continued to let – and I got to decide who I shared that with and who I didn't. But I continued to be authentic with this piece of me that was hurting that I couldn't resolve, and I wasn't going to show up and completely – now, if I had not told them that, I still could have held that – that weakness in my heart, that, that sense of, it felt like a disproportional reaction to a cat being lost. Right. Sure. Sure. Um, and then when I got the call from the neighbor, cause our cat was lost and he was lost all day and he finally showed up at someone else's house. Cause I think he was disoriented and I got a call. I picked up the phone and I cried like a, I cried, I ugly cried after I hung up with the phone with the person that said, Hey, I found your cat. And I okay. released whatever that emotion was. I know it wasn't just about the cat. Yeah, but I didn't yeah. hide it from my wife. I didn't hide it with my leadership group. I didn't, I, I didn't tell everybody on the that I was leading the call with. Hey guys, just to know I lost my cat. It was. It really wasn't appropriate for that space. I could have made it appropriate, but I feel like it's. If I were to boil it down, it's every man or person that has masculinity in them, which I think all of us do to some degree, some higher percentage yeah. than others, right? But. Yeah. So every person that goes, hey, man, what, what, what does it look like for my masculine part of me to be vulnerable? I, I think, and I think this applies to feminine vulnerability too, but I won't go there because I, I identify way more masculine than feminine. I would say it's, it's always keeping the wounded part of you, the vulnerable part of you with you and not completely disconnecting. How much of that you decide to expose in any moment, up to you. It's, it's an art, not a science. But yeah. What what toxic masculinity I believe does is shoves that pussy part of us into the closet and says, "Get in the fucking closet and shut up, you little pussy. I'm gonna go be a man." Yeah. I don't know any man that does that that doesn't end up being a fucking train wreck. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because that that part of them that they've that they've shoved in the closet forever comes back to bite them. And even Goggins will talk about that part of himself. You know. Even even David Goggins himself, I believe, does a vulnerable, masculine vulnerable. So what does it look like? It looks like keeping, keeping a relationship with the young, wounded parts of yourself that are still healing, that are still, and having compassion, but without complacency. Don't use those parts of you as an excuse to not move forward into your destiny as a man. Mm. Or, or, or to move, or if you're not a man, just to move forward into your destiny. Yeah. Masculinity... The best thing I can think about masculinity is most men are when you're being masculine, when you're raising kids, you, you put them on your little pouch and they're facing out. And when you want to nurture them, you bring them in. Yeah. So it's like that part of you that just is looking out and looking forward going, I'm going to go out into the world and I know it's going to provoke the wounded, unhealed parts of me. And I'm not going to hide them from myself and I'm going to choose who I share that with, but I'm, I'm going to remain connected to my weakness and my and, and, and the parts of me that are still healing that still 
So I, I, it's probably a long answer, but uh, that's no. the best one I got. So it's, it's a great one. I I often tell my clients that you know we because a lot of times I, I agree with you, and then it, it, the follow up question is, well, how do I do that, and why don't I stay connected? Like, what's so scary about staying connected to that vulnerable part? And for a lot of the guys that I work with, you know, we, we grow up in a certain environment and let's say that our dad didn't show us vulnerability or connection or emotion. And the only emotion they saw was rage or anger, those kinds of that, that dynamic. Well, a lot of times we grow up, we leave the house and then we, even though maybe our dad abused us or maybe it was our mom, but we we leave the home and then we basically pick up that parent mantle and start to treat ourselves the way that we were treated. So emotionally right. disconnected, emotionally unavailable, that kind of thing. And so it's a journey yeah. of beginning to reparent yourself in ways that you weren't parented or where they fell short to maintain yeah. that connection to that inner child, that softer side, that vulnerable side, however you want to describe that. Yeah. Yeah. Easier said than done, but <laughs> hey, look, I, I I suck at vulnerability. I mean, people call me the vulnerability guy, and I suck at it just as much as anybody else because it's a, it, it is a messy, challenging. It's called vulnerability because it feels really vulnerable, and it feels it's yeah, it, it's not it's not easy, which is why compassion was the first thing that came out of my mouth because as you embrace that journey, you need to be patient and compassionate with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Which is something that, which can feel kind of feminine. It can feel kind of wussy. Don't, don't tell me to be compassionate with myself. I don't like that. It can. And yet I think if all of it, if I'm honest with myself, I mean, this is something that you're still working with me on, right? It, it feels easier at times to not be compassionate. And yet, that when I get it from my wife or I get it from my daughter or even my son or just myself, I crave that. I'm longing for that, even though it feels before I give that to myself or before I receive that, it feels like a waste of time or, you know, unproductive or whatever it may be. And, and yet my heart's craving for it at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, can yep. you, can you have, true intimacy without healthy vulnerability? Well, I guess first we have to define true intimacy. I mean, intimacy, my favorite kind of taking that apart is into me, you see, right? So yeah, can someone really see the whole you if they don't get to see the parts of you that make you feel vulnerable? Like, I don't think if, if you want people, if, if you, if intimacy, so First of all, I think true intimacy is a very black and white term. So what level of intimacy is satisfying to you? Mm. I would say, I would say, can you have satisfying intimacy? Um, you know, I, I have a lot of friends and I, I kind of think, well, they're pretty happy with a level two and I'm not going to force the issue and try to make them be a more intimate person than they are. They're on, I, I think it's a gradient and, I think some people crave intimacy more than others. I think some people experience intimacy different ways. So I, first of all, the word true intimacy kind of 
provokes me a bit to go, well, what is that? Like, what, why, why is it? And, and if you're constantly pursuing true intimacy, you're always going to be falling short. So I think decide what level you've, you're comfortable being seen at. And, and if you feel like you want to go a little further, then get a little more vulnerable, you know, just tweak it. Yeah. But don't, don't sit there and judge yourself and go, well, someday I'm going to experience true intimacy. You, you're going to be on that hamster wheel the rest of your life. Yeah, it's a fine line, right, of of what level of intimacy you're comfortable with, and yet it requires vulnerability, which is oftentimes uncomfortable to gain a deeper level of intimacy. Yeah, and you know, there's times when I don't want deeper intimacy, and I want to check out, and I want to, I I want to watch. I, I love watching space launches, which you know I love. Uh, I mean, you got you're there in Texas, and not far from there is Boca Chica. I'm, yeah, you know, that's a good reason for me to move to Texas right there, just to go hang out <laughs> and watch those watch Elon Musk shoot off rockets. I don't know. I mean, is that intimate? If someone's into it with me, I suppose. But there's just, I, you know, I, I used to just, I, I think you know, you can. The reason people don't like being vulnerable is because people that are really into intimacy beat them over the head with it. You're, you don't talk to me enough. You're not vulnerable enough. There's a, there's a bunch of, you're not enough, enough, enough. And there's not enough of accepting people where they're at and, and inviting mm. them into, if you're the person in their relationship that seems to be better at intimacy, don't beat your partner or your friend over the head with it. Like accept the person you're trying to relate to where they're at and accept them where they're at, man. Like, yeah. It's, I feel like it's a new quest and it's a new way to measure. I mean, in some masculine move, it's like, Hey, the most vulnerable guy in the room is the most powerful guy in the room. Well, now we've got a new way of measuring ourselves against each other. Great. So then you get people up there gutting themselves unnecessarily and probably shouldn't have done it at the time they did it. And now there's this, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like, I feel like, vulnerability and intimacy is such a personal journey that we should be real careful with each other, not to, and, and, but at the same time, it is hard to have a satisfying life with some level of advancing and vulnerability and intimacy. Yeah. 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 I, I, I find that, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this as well, but, um, oftentimes not always, this is a generalization, but, people that are beating the vulnerability drum now not someone that like Bernie Brown who's dedicated their life to it but in the sense of making you feel bad because you're not as vulnerable or really wearing their heart on their sleeves those kinds of things that those people tend to actually be chasing intimacy through vulnerability more so out of a fear of abandonment than a pursuit of love and connection well said. Yeah, I've, as I think I did that and, and probably still do to some degree, you know, I, I have, I, I was abused, I, I was abandoned, I was rejected. And I think, I think I did kind of use it once I understood what vulnerability is and I had some language around it, I use it as a weapon. Yeah. Against people that I wanted more intimacy with to try to manipulate them into being more intimate with me. Yeah. Yeah. It's a real convenient, convenient 
Yeah, that's really well said, Josh. I like that. And very few people will will call, quote unquote call you out or make you uh, take responsibility for that reality, right? Because why would I make you feel bad? Because basically, if I'm being vulnerable with you, well, I'm taking that high ground. I'm the one taking that risk. I'm the one that's opening up my heart and yeah. exposing myself to you. And so if you call me out on the fact that I'm actually afraid of abandonment, then that's just you trying to not be vulnerable, right? It's quick, it's easy to flip that script yeah. and to use that as a means of manipulating and, and getting can, connection. It's like a frantic thing. When, when, when I would be vulnerable to the point where it was frantic, where it was like, you know, like, grasping i just if i'm just more vulnerable right now yeah and and it would have that element to it it's like i'm vulnerable therefore you must be vulnerable right now because i have chosen to be vulnerable in this moment yeah well, not everybody's yeah. in the mood to be vulnerable at all given moments you know like <laughs> <laughs> it's true try to get me to be vulnerable when i'm you know like like i said watching a space launch and someone says how do you feel about this i'm like it's awesome i like rockets i like how <laughs> powerful they sound like why do you like that? I don't know. Leave me alone. I'm enjoying it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. I don't want to talk about my feelings right now. I just want to watch this rocket take off. Yeah. Well, I know in my own journey with just helping people and exploring my inner world, you know, I I tend to, I'm getting more balanced as I get older, but can't like my tendency is to be all or nothing with things. And so when I was in the Marines and growing up, showing emotions, that was shoved down everything you're talking about and then when i burnt myself out and then i started meeting with people and exploring vulnerability in this inner world then i went all into that and and the other side of it, i wasn't necessarily chasing connection but what i found was then i fell into that judging place where i'd go to a party and i'd meet five new people and i'd leave the party and be like oh well he's not vulnerable he only knows how to talk about sports he only knows it and i would dismiss a lot mm -hmm. of relationships that i think potentially could have become great relationships had I not used their level of vulnerability immediately as a measuring stick of their depth or what they have to offer in a relationship or in their life. So I think that that yeah. eases in with relational equity and with time that you, you know, work on that vulnerability with someone as they, as you take that risk and they show they can meet that risk, then you can continue to evolve and go deeper with that then. Well said. Yeah, you know, even Brene Brown got challenged by a guy once. I remember her telling the story where she'd really done her TED Talks. I think she'd done two. She was touring. And a guy came up to her and said, hey, love what you're doing with women, but what about the guys? She's like, well, what do you mean? He's like, you're not talking about guy vulnerability. She's like, well, sure I am. He goes, no. He goes, my wife and my daughter over there, the level of vulnerability, if I got that vulnerable with them, they couldn't handle it because I'd have to get off of my white horse that I love, that they love to see me rescue them on. And, and they literally would rather see me die out here alone. He goes, men are out here alone and we, you're not giving us a way to connect to it. And so I, I have experienced that in my relationships where I chose to go. I find like I can be vulnerable with guys first kind of as a first wave and then go to my wife with the second wave. But if I go to her with the kind of vulnerability that a guy could actually handle. Yeah. And I go to her with it. it I think it short circuits our relationship. So I think it's going to be different with every 
guy, girl, 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 guy, guy. I'm not talking about traditional. I'm talking about know who you're building relationship with yes. and know who can handle certain levels of your vulnerability. And when you notice them not being able to do it, don't keep trying to force it. That, that person's trying to tell you, I'm not comfortable with your level of vulnerability right now. And if you try to keep forcing it, you're going to get hurt and they're going to get hurt. Yeah. Right. That was massive. In my, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was was just going to say for me, (laughs) we're both excited. Okay, go. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I was going to say that was that I'm excited because that was some, some of the more profound advice that you've given me in my, within my marriage, just because I'm set aside the, like the, the level of vulnerability. I'm a verbal processor. Right. And, and so mm-hmm. my wife, I, I feel safe with her. I love her. I trust her. And so I would verbal process with her and I still do, but certain things, you know, we, we are learning our differences and, you know, we've only been together for a couple of years. And so we're still figuring out what works well and doesn't work well. And I remember talking with you where we kept tripping over this thing where I, you know, it's like, Hey, I'm just sharing, honestly, like I'm, I don't, I don't remember. I actually don't remember what the conversations were, but you know, I'm, I'm really terrified right now that our finances aren't going to be okay. And that triggers her. Mm-hmm. And then that puts her in a state or whatever. That wasn't it, but it was, you know, things like that where coming yeah. to you and I go, Hey, I'm terrified that, you know, and, and kind of getting that off my chest and verbal processing that out and then coming to her and be like, Oh, you know, I had this conversation with Dave and I have these moments where I'm really afraid about my finances, but overall, I actually think that we're going to be okay. But, you know, and so I can still be vulnerable and still be real, but that first wave, like you said, especially for somebody like myself, that's a verbal processor to get that initial raw ah, off my chest is setting Mm -hmm. us, my marriage up for success to not always do that with her. I love that. Yeah. And Oftentimes, you know, if let's use the example of finances, you know, since you and your wife are both impacted by each each other's views on finances and beliefs and decisions you guys make, I mean, it affects each one of you because you guys are together. For you to tell me about that, I'm it's it's a lot less. I'm I'm not likely to get triggered by you telling me about that because sure, we don't share. We you and I don't share a bank account, so so okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so it's really bizarre. Vulnerability is really bizarre because you think, okay, well, this is the person I'm supposed to be the most vulnerable with. This person I'm married to or the person I've committed my life to, I should probably always be the most vulnerable with them. And yet that isn't always true. Yeah. Sometimes first wave, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's so much an art form and not a science. Like I don't, I'm sure somebody's got a formula out there for it, but I'm not sure it'll, it, the, the vulnerability formula really works. Well, it's we'll just wait a, for you to write a book. <laughs> yeah, I'll write a book. I'll write a book. Actually, I'll do a I'll do a 20, 20 level course that it takes you. you there you pay go. Ten thousand dollars for a level for each level you go up, it gets ten thousand dollars a year more expensive. But eventually, you will know the formula, and then you'll never <laughs> ever have vulnerability problems ever again. <laughs> um, I kind of want to pivot, but it's tied in with vulnerability. I. I was thinking about, you know, like, like I said, you, I've been meeting with you as a coach and you've been meeting me where I'm at and at the same time cracking the whip in certain ways. 
and you know, just the, the current thing that we're working through is my calendar, right? Me can taking control of yeah. my time and my day and then following through with it and my, me being in the all or nothing, my pendulum swings, and then I kind of give up on it, et cetera. Um, but my question within that is why is it that you feel like I, I logically rationally know this is good for me to fine tune my calendar. Cause I've got, you know, I've got a couple businesses. I've got five kids. I've got my wife. I've got our land. I, I got a lot going on and I need to get better at managing my time, controlling my time. And it's not just, Hey, time management one-on-one and you're going to improve your life. For me personally, there's an emotional underlier underneath that, that it feels hard to do or that, um, I, I get looped sometimes and we talk through it, right? We're, I have my calendar plan and then I get a curveball. The kid's sick and I got to take him to the doctor, whatever it may be. And then I get thrown off and then I can shame spiral. And, and like, there's all these emotions tied into this, this dynamic for the, of the calendar for me personally. But my question within that is why, why is it that we want to hold on to unhealthy paradigms or to um, like, why does it feel so hard? Not, not as a means of, um, giving me an out or other people an out, but why can't it be hard to lock into a new regiment, paradigm, habit, routine, just things that we know logically will improve us, but emotionally or with what life has coming our way, just it, it feels like trudgery to be able to turn that ship. Okay, I'm going to go straight for the jugular in this one, not not on you on your yeah. podcast because this, yeah, yeah. this is a general jugular that we all I think this is everybody's like if you want to get right at it yeah you you have a an identity and a story that that is attached to that identity or a set of stories depending on different areas of your life but that whatever whatever dominant stories that are playing out unconsciously when you do something like I'm going to, I'm going to change the way I do my calendar. Um, and the, the specifically for you, the way you did the calendar is you attach that calendar that were things that were high priorities for you. So you didn't just create a calendar. Like you, yeah. you spent some really good solid time thinking that thing out. It wasn't just, Oh, here's my calendar. Like you really did a great job of figuring that thing out. And so the, the, the external threats are real and that happens to all of us, right? You, you, you dial something in and gosh darn it, the dog gets sick or the cat gets sick or the kids get sick or the car breaks down and that can be discouraging and that's an external threat. But the more, if none of those things had happened, the internal threat is I'm trying, I'm doing my best right now to align my actions with my truest, highest self. And I'm not sure I want to let go of the current version of me that I've grown very comfortable with. Mm. So it really is, it, it, it forces a letting go process that can feel like death. And most people are afraid to die. They don't. Yeah. So it, you know, most of the neuroscience out there, most of the new, you know, Atomic Habits is a great book that's out by James mm -hmm. Clear. There's a lot of stuff yeah. where it's like learning how to work with that, some of those unconscious triggers in you that 
that cause you to knee jerk back the black and white. It's, it's, there's a lot of slow and steady wins the race. Work, work with your neurobiology instead of against it, you know, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But it really boils down to, so, so that's all that stuff's out there. The approach I'm taking that I think is very complementary to all that that's happening is, Hey, double down on your who time. You know, all, did you ever get read to as a kid or do you read to your kids? Do you tell them yeah. stories like your, yeah, kid, yeah. your kids, right? Everybody loves a story. Well, here's a great way to soften that those unconscious internal knee-jerk responses. Do story time with yourself every day. Tell yourself the story about who you're becoming and who you really are. I, I tell my, I do like half hour to, 45 minutes, sometimes two hours a day of story time with myself. I'm like, all right, David. And I kind of, I don't really talk this way, but this is how I feel inside. Yeah. I'm going to tell you a story about you. Guess what? This is who you are. And some days I don't like that story. I'm like, that story is not me. And I feel, and I get upset about hearing my story that I know is true about me because there's so many things happening in my life that day that feel contrary to the story. It feels like a fairy tale. I don't want to believe it. But it really is, if I could boil it down to this, double down on any ways that you currently meditate on who you are, whether it's with God, whether it's with friends. Um, You could also replace that phrase with reflective time, which is positive reflective time. Do you look in the mirror? Can you look in the mirror and not be self-deprecating? Great exercise. Get up in the morning, look in the mirror, and wait until the self-deprecation stops. Mm, yeah (laughs) like just wait even if you just get to a neutral place that's better than you know it's better it's better than like i've i've had people on a zoom call like this go hey just look at yourself for 60 seconds and tell me what thoughts and feelings come up oh my gosh i would say almost every single person the 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 dominant things are self-deprecation of some sort okay so i'm like hey let's just hang out until that so Practically, I think it's um, being more patient and, and slowly making the changes so you don't trigger out, trigger out the self-defense mechanisms. Yeah, But yeah. the other thing that you can do that really softens it is to anchor in and begin to get good at articulating. And if you don't know that story, that's, that's, I don't, that's, that's the work I'm passionate about is, hey, let's, let's get into that story let's have you spend more time on that. I call it who time state of being time. Um, you know, so that's, that's my answer to that one. How do you stay anchored to your highest self in the process? So I, 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 I have it as part of my practical schedule. So I have at least a half hour every morning. I have it right on my desktop. I can show it to you right now. I have stuff on there that I re it's so easy to get to. I just click on it. Um, in the beginning, I used to stick it underneath my toothbrush because I, I literally instinctually did not want to read that stuff over myself because I think instinctually I knew that it would begin to dissolve the old self. Okay. So I do that. Um, and then I, I have five-minute pauses and one half-hour pause throughout my day where I reconnect to that. And, 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 and I, I have one practical uh, – indicator kpi key performance indicator that i check in on every day which is what percentage of my day did i stay aligned with my true self so if you can get good i mean if you want to change your eating what's the best way to do it just just create a food diary right 
Mm-hmm. Just feed that information, and people spontaneously change when they when they become conscious of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Same thing with your story and your truest self. If you have one new story that's emerging that you can just begin to, let's say every day you expand on that story by a word or two. Hey, if I, if I was talking to myself, hey, David, you're, you're practical, but you're also mystical. You're spiritual. You're a compassionate guy. You're safe. And then let's say this morning I'm doing that and I go, and you're really funny. And so I just add that to my story, right? Okay. Yeah. So the next day I've got one more thing that I can add to that little story I'm telling myself. And I just keep feeding that information in and then I'll go do my day and I'll disconnect from all that stuff. Somebody will call me and trigger me. It's 12 noon. I'm hungry. I'm angry. I'm worried. And I go, okay, let me read this again. Oh gosh, none of that's true. I'm not, I am not funny. I am not compassionate, but even just that awareness of, wow, I got, how did I get off center? What could I do right now to reconnect to that a little bit? And just those little course corrections throughout the day can calm those parts of my brain down. I can get back to my prefrontal cortex. Um, Maybe I'll go, you know what I need to do right now? I just need to go have some hard-boiled eggs. That's what I need to do. Okay. Because my system, my, my physical system is so jacked up, I can't even connect to this. Take a pause, go grab some almonds, drink some water, try again. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm all right. Okay, so really, yeah, it's yeah. it's learning what what knocks you off center and becoming a, a student of yourself can be super helpful too. I love that. I love that. Um, gotta wrap it up. Always ask a question. I'm curious what people have to say. One billboard. One billion people see it. What does it say? You're okay. All right. You're okay. I love that. Or, um, or as, uh, or you're all right, all right, all right. You're all right, all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew McConaughey, that thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, Dave, I this has been a wealth of knowledge. Obviously, I've been meeting with you, so I've been receiving a lot of this, and yet at the same time, I feel like I grabbed a handful of things from our conversation today. So thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, can you tell everybody kind of what you've got going on, what you're involved with, how they can find you, et cetera? Yep. Um, one-on-one coaching, group coaching, and I do a couple retreats a year. You can find out about all of that at David Charlson Coaching. My last name is C-H-A-R-L-S-O-N, davidcharlsoncoaching.com. Awesome. There it is. Well, hey, thanks again for a great conversation, and I can guarantee you that some folks are going to be pulling some nuggets from this for sure. Right on. Thanks, Josh. All right. See ya. Thank you.